So um, we had read uh, as far as verse 15, actually, and um, I'll just one more time give us that understanding that what's going on is uh, this is uh, the dual, the, the deutimus, the second account of the law, Leviticus being that first occasion, uh, 38 years-ish have passed since the reception of the law, and uh, now the younger generation is about to enter into the promised land. Uh, they've known the law. They've experienced some of the works of the Lord. Some of them saw, you know, most if not all, but they were so young that it wasn't their own experience. And now that younger generation is going to be leading into the promised land, and the Lord is taking the time with Moses, through Moses, to recount the law to that younger generation. There are just a couple minor modifications that pertain to the fact that they're now going to be in the land rather than just handling the law that take place in this, but there are no changes uh, as far as there being some kind of controversy or correction in it. Uh, we talked about the portion that was to be assigned to the priests and how they were to be cared for, remembering that they don't have any land that is given to them as personal inheritance. They have land that's given to the Levites collectively for them to farm and to care for themselves. And they're given homes within the cities of each of the tribes so that the Levites are in all of the tribes ministering to them but then their substance is supposed to come from the sacrifices that are brought to the Lord. A one-third portion is assigned to them in certain sacrifices where a portion is burned for the Lord, a portion is given to the priests, and a portion is given back to the person who brought the offering so that priests, the Lord, and the people are in fellowship together sharing those sacrifices as a meal, consuming them. The priests receive their portion from those things. Then the Lord specifically talked about avoiding specific wickednesses that were done by the nations that they were displacing. So as they came into the land, they weren't supposed to adopt some of the practices. And we gave a lengthy study regarding some of those things last week. Now we come to verse 15 of Deuteronomy chapter 18, where we address a new prophet that's going to be similar to Moses. In verse 15, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, Moses speaking, from your midst, from your brethren, him you shall hear according to all your desire of the Lord your God in Horeb, and in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, nor let me see this great fire any more, lest I die. So the nation of Israel had heard the thundering, seen the lightning, saw the mountain smoking, heard the voice of God, and they were so filled with fear that they said to Moses and effectively to the Lord, we don't want God to speak to us directly anymore. It's filling our hearts with terror. It's filling our hearts with fear and trepidation. 
let Moses go and communicate with God and whatever he says to God, or whatever God says to Moses, let him bring it back and we'll be obedient. And we know that didn't last even during the trip of Moses up and back because by the time Moses returned, they had built the golden calf and were engaged in horrible sin in the camp of Israel. The, more to the point, here the Lord is saying, I'm going to give you a prophet similar to Moses because you don't want to hear directly from me. Okay, There's something about that that you need to consider on a few levels within this, right? If any of us have studied at length the scripture, we come to the understanding of, okay, Jesus Christ fulfills that, right? He comes in a similar way to Moses as a man, and he declares. It's God speaking to humanity through Jesus Christ, right? As God, Jesus being God, speaking to humanity, is speaking as God directly to the human race. But consider that within that picture is the fact that, that the people don't want to hear from God. So historically, they do two things. They relegate that to someone else. Let Moses do that, right? God's communicating directly to them. And because of their impurity, because of their sinfulness, right, rather than being comforted, rather than being encouraged and built up, they're filled with fear. They're filled with terror over the experience. And they say, let somebody else be the representative. The second thing that that creates is what religion does, right? Here in the New Testament, we can be men and women that don't pursue the voice of the Lord, the relationship with the Lord on our own. We, we relegate that to the pastor or the, the spiritual person, you know, the aunt, the uncle, the relative, the friend who, oh, I need to know, something of God, I need prayer, I'll call them up, okay? Jesus came and fulfilled it as God speaking to humanity, but recall that Jesus said to the people who were rejecting him, I come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. There will be one who comes in his own name and him you will receive, the Antichrist. Okay, so, so this is not just that historical commentary on the circumstance. This is the Lord's overarching perspective of the human race. I want to communicate with you directly. He's saying that to you right now through me here this morning. He's saying that to your heart. I want to communicate with you directly. But if you relegate that to listening to me through someone else, then your heart is ever going to be prone to Antichrist. Think about that. That's a, that's a frightening prospect, right? Jesus Christ's whole ministry was to come and remove the priesthood, right? To be the high priest, tear the veil from top to bottom, give free access and entrance right into the Holy of Holies that you could hear from the Lord yourself, power of the Holy Spirit working in your heart, voice of God speaking directly to you, and yet we tend to listen to others rather than the Lord. It's so interesting to me how very often you, you look back historically at the most popular literature of the day inside Christianity, and as time passes, when you look back at it, it was terrible stuff. 
It's, it's only after someone has passed away, finished well, that we read those that weren't that popular at the time, that their writings are so potent. You know, modern times, you can think of names like, uh, you know, well, less modern, Spurgeon. Right? Think of names like Moody. You know, move forward into names today. You know that that we have respected so well and venerated so highly, and then learned over time of their character and the problems in their doctrine. Consider, right, that we have the Word of God and His Holy Spirit indwelt, that each one of us could hear directly from the Lord. Uh, it, it's always dangerous. I, I've, you've heard me rail on it enough times, those of you that attend this church, right? You know, new Christian author, New York Times bestseller. And, and all of Christianity flocks to that author, right? Well, you, you got to have a million copies sold in order to be a New York Times bestseller. If Christianity, if a million people from Christianity have purchased that book, surely it must be good. Well, New York Times bestseller is a scam. Right, Because most frequently how these publishers do this is the author purchases the first one million copies themselves. They have, they have a very inexpensive version of the book, paperback, published, and their ministry literally purchased the first one million copies itself. Dollar a dollar piece, dollar forty-seven a piece. Small investment for putting yourself on the New York Times bestseller list. Then they turn around and sell those books for four and five dollars a piece. So they're recouping their money. It's an investment in themselves, and all of Christianity flocks to it. What did Jesus say about the large gatherings? You don't want to always go there. Why? <laughs> because there's a dead body there. Just because you see a large gathering of the birds doesn't mean you should be attracted to that location. Consider you have the word of God. Right? Peter makes that statement. They went up on the Mount of Transfiguration, saw the glory of Jesus Christ, and then when Peter writes his epistle, he says, we have, you know, in regard to the Transfiguration, he said, we have the more sure word of prophecy. The word of God is more exciting, more empowering, more sure than any emotional experience you may have had along those lines. So consider how that may affect you verse 17 and the lord said to me what they have spoken is good i will raise up from them a prophet speaking of jesus here like you from among their brethren and will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that i command and it shall be that whoever will not hear my words which he speaks in my name i will require it of him but the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. Death sentence. Okay? Doesn't apply to the New Testament, thank goodness. There'd be a lot of empty television channels if that were the case. But you have to consider that that's how serious the Lord is about the circumstances. That if someone is a false teacher, if, if they speak presumptuously 
on behalf of God, saying, you know, thus saith the Lord, and then they say something the Lord did not tell them to say, or if they take the body of Christ and they teach them to listen to something other than Jesus Christ, other than Jehovah, God our Father, then they are a false teacher and they need to be put to death according to God's standard. Now, the Lord gives a little bit better of an explanation here. I'll require it of them who speaks in my name shall die, verse 21. And if you say in your heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? How are we going to be able to determine that? You know, who's speaking on behalf of God and who's not speaking on behalf of God? How can I determine these things? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord... If the thing does not happen or come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. You shall put him to death. So that puts the standard. There's, there's two things that are undeniable qualifiers for what the Lord is saying. Uh, he, he gives that greater clarification to if they're not 100% accurate then they need to be put to death. The second one is if they speak to you on behalf of any other God, then you, you put them to death. There are many teachers inside Christianity who have made great boastful claims, even saying, thus saith the Lord. Then they make their proclamation and it doesn't come true. Okay, If it doesn't come true, then you should have nothing to do with them ever again. Ever again. Listen, if they repent and step forward and say, I was false, I was wrong, I know from the scripture the Lord has grace for them and will forgive them, but we should never listen to them again. Right? Repentance is a wonderful thing, but they've disqualified themselves from being a leader within Christianity. The number of pastors today, you would think you wouldn't have to say, right? Uh, don't worry about the false teachers that would teach you to listen to another God. And yet, I named for you specifically the worship leader from the band Gungor, who, that's his last name, uh, is now saying that Buddha was Christ. And Mohammed was Christ, as well as Jesus being Christ. Within Christianity, right? You know, a lot, a lot of my younger friends get upset with me when I mention bands like Hillsong, Elevation, Bethel Music, right? Totally false doctrine. This is what John is saying here this morning as he leads us in worship. And when you sing the word of God, it's so much better. Because you don't have to worry about some of these things. Some of the music is extremely attractive, right? Your heart, your body, your ear hears it, and oh, that sounds wonderful. And then you listen, right? I don't know where you stand. Uh, we're, we take the word of God literal here. Six literal days of creation, right? Uh, the Lord said right there in Genesis, uh, and morning and evening were the first day. 24-hour light cycle. Right? He establishes, he doesn't say, oh, the time period is open to interpretation. He gives us his wisdom in explanation. For those that say, well, there was a gap. 
right there between verse 1 and verse 2 that may have been countless number of years where God started creation and then Lucifer entered in and brought death and wiped out all the dinosaurs and then started over with man. Okay, so you're telling me that death was in creation before Adam. Right? If that's what you're saying, there's a gap that Lucifer entered in you know, and caused it to be confused or become void as they interpret it. And, and to be disrupted, then you're saying they literally say that's where all that death and all the fossils and everything came from. And yet Paul and Jesus, mind you, said that sin and death entered this world through Adam. In fact, in fact, it even said that sin and death entered into all of creation, meaning all of the entire universe, all that we know of creation was brought under entropy, right? The, the law of thermodynamics that everything is breaking down and dying. These are, these are God's words. And yet, Hillsong is talking about how the billions of things that God began to evolve. You say, minor point. Got to be 100% accurate according to the Lord here, or don't listen to them. Don't be led astray by them. These aren't minor points. You pull the pinnings of creation out from underneath our faith and our entire faith collapses. You, you take the six literal days of creation away. If you can call that into question, you must understand this. If you don't have this as a believer, you got to hold to this, that the way Satan brought the entirety of creation down through Eve, followed by Adam, was to ask her one question. Did God literally say? And you can add whatever you want to to that because that's the same thing he's doing in the hearts of humanity all down through time. Did God literally say that man is the head of women? I mean, you know, come on. That's an ancient way of looking. Did God literally say? Did God literally say? Did God literally say? Satan's one-liners have never changed. Call into question God's word. Right? A, a, a faithful teacher, Bill Gallatin, he was the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel, Finger Lakes, New York, brought Calvary Chapel to the East Coast a number of years ago. I was present at a pastor's conference where he was teaching, and he said, all it takes for you to, as a pastor to be a false teacher is that you be false and be a teacher. That, that puts the standard in a place where you've got to pay attention to yourself and the things you're saying and the things you're doing, right? The, the world is filled, filled. The Christianity is filled with false teachers. If you're sitting there thinking like, really, is it that bad? When Jesus said, right, he teaches two parables, parable of the sower and the seed, right? And he says, as he gives the explanation, by this explanation of this parable, you will understand all of the other parables. It's what we refer to as expositional constancy. Once something's been explained, then it stays that way continuously throughout the scripture. In the parable, Jesus explains the birds that come and steal the seed away as the devil or demons. Then you go to the parable I'm sure you're familiar with of the mustard seed. 
and he says, smallest of seeds planted grows up, fills the whole earth so that even the birds of the air make their nests in its branches. He just explained in the previous parable that the birds are demonic hosts. And then he tells us that in the kingdom, the demonic hosts will make their homes here. You've got to be very careful about what you read, what you listen to, what you take in. It's, it's all over the place. No, surely you've tried to research something on the internet and had your mind blown with all of the nonsense that's there. You know, uh, you know, professor, doctorate, so-and-so, blah-de-blah, 17 initials, and here's my authority. Garbage follows. Consider what the Lord is saying to you this morning about the authority of his word and its working in your life. You have to be examining of these. <clears throat> we No call to put them to death. Listen, the thing I often hear, right, though, you get in certain circles and they, they you know, claim, I'm a prophet, I'm an apostle, you know, and they got all of these badges that they've stuck on themselves. And in those circles, as they're making these great claims, if they say something that's of question and you begin to question them, then the next thing they want to shout is, you know, either judge not or, you know, touch not the Lord's anointed. I've heard that one a bunch of times, you know. Well, you know, where they, you know, judge not, right? Matthew chapter 7, when Jesus says, you know, judge not lest she be judged. The measure by which you measure it will be measured back to you. The judgment he's referring to is actually handing out the physical punishment. Okay? The woman caught in the act of adultery, they drag her down in the street. They're going to stone her to death. That's the judgment Jesus is talking about. You're a sinner. We're going to kill you for it. Judge not. Physical judgment. You know, some of us have stood before judges and they've pronounced their judgment and we've had to serve our time, right? Judgment, physical punishment. He says, judge not. Then in verse 15, he says, you will know the false teachers by their fruit. He doesn't say you can't use your discernment. He does not say you cannot examine someone's teaching or their life and declare them to be false. Okay, <clears throat> TBN, they have some really good teachers. They have some really good teachers on TBN. They have some of the worst teachers on TBN. And I, I don't say this for shock value at all. I need you, I need you, I need to, as a pastor, I need to instill in you the mindset that says, this is my responsibility to examine these things for myself. The last section we read last week, said the degree to which you know these things, you're accountable for it. So you need to know these things and live by them, right? Paul Crouch, founder of TBN, late 80s, paid $180,000 to the man that he had been having a homosexual affair with for three years. And that man signed a non-disclosure agreement with the ministry to not publish his book or say anything about the relationship. You know, Paul Crouch's personal assistant. Three years living in a homosexual relationship with that man, traveling the world together. Paul Crouch violated the non-disclosure agreement in 2006. And so that man called his lawyer up and said, publish the book. 
TBN freaked out, went back. This is all in mainstream media, you guys. This isn't like conspiracy theory tucked way in the back. You can go look these stories up. They went back to the table and paid him over a million dollars the second time to shut his mouth and keep him quiet. The falsehoods that have continuously come out of certain denominations, certain branches, certain people, when you find them, don't, and not the whole denomination, right? The individuals. You have, to, you have to stop listening to certain influences from inside Christianity. It's really, really treacherous what the church has put up with. Right? Tolerance. To, I can't judge anybody. You need to. You need to consider the poison that you may be ingesting spiritually. Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 1. The Lord shifts gears dramatically. When the Lord your God has cut off the nations whose land the Lord your God is giving you, and you dispossess them and dwell in their cities and in their houses, and sh you shall separate three cities for yourself in the midst of of your land, which the Lord your God is giving you to possess. You shall prepare roads for yourself and divide into three parts the territory of your land, which the Lord your God is giving you to inherit, that any manslayer may flee there. So just to jump ahead and give a little bit of an explanation so things make sense as we move along. We've already seen a, a brief description of well, we see the explanation in Leviticus, and then we get a previous description because the two and a half tribes of Reuben, Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh have not crossed over the Jordan River to take possession in the land. They're going to cross over and enter into all the battles and conflicts, but they don't, they don't take inheritance of land inside the promised land. They take theirs east of the Jordan River becomes known as the land of the Gadareans. You may remember that from Jesus crossing over uh, the Sea of Galilee and entering into Gennesaret or the land of the Gadareans and meeting the demon-possessed man there. You know, herd of pigs and they run down and drown in the sea. So <clears throat> they have three cities of refuge set up inside their territory, which there's a commentary within that to consider, right? Those two and a half tribes have rejected God's promise and refused to enter into the promised land that God has prepared for the nation of Israel. And they're going to need to have three cities inside their territory alone, where the entirety of the rest of the nation will only have three cities spread throughout that whole vast territory. What the territory is for is accidental death, manslaughter. When it can truly be proven that it was an accident, that there was no, what we today say as malice aforethought. There was no hatred, no animosity. That was just truly a genuine accident. Then life sentence. You have to live inside. Well, it's actually the life of the, pre, the high priest. You have to live inside the city for the duration of the high priest's life. That could be a long time or a short time, but the law requires that when someone is killed, whoever kills them would sacrifice their own life. If it's murder, then there's no refuge. If it is an accident, manslaughter, then it is allowed that they would have to live inside this confinement for the rest of their lives. Now listen, we may 
from a human sense, look at that as restrictive. But looking at it from a spiritual point of view, it's the protection of Jesus Christ. That if you've failed so horribly in your life, in your walk, in your conduct, your morality, you can find refuge inside Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful picture of grace and forgiveness. So here, you're going to prepare these cities. And he talks about the roads and the signs need to all be clearly marked. Everything needs to be easy travel. There shouldn't be any difficulty in someone who has created these circumstances to flee to that location and find refuge. Nothing barring. We're going to talk about uh, those that would carry out the sentence. So verse 4, and this is the case of the manslayer who flees there that they may live. Whoever kills his neighbor unintentionally, not having hated him in time past. Listen to me. Simply having hatred in your heart could cause it to be that you would be found guilty if someone died at your hands. It could be a total accident, but your hatred could condemn you. That that means you're going to have to have a constant attention to your own thought life, your own process, quick to forgive, ready to let go, having an anxious heart for the grace of God. So consider how that might speak to you here. Having not hated him in time past, as when a man goes to the woods with his neighbor to cut timber and his hand swings a stroke with the axe to cut down the tree, the head slips from the handle of the axe and strikes his neighbor so that he dies. He shall flee to one of these cities and live. And, and the Lord just puts that example in there in order for them to understand, right? Probably every one of us has been in a setting where something happens abruptly and everybody gets that like white hot prickly feeling of, wow, that was really close. That could have ended very badly right there. I've seen that built towers for a number of years and had a couple of occasions that uh, we were all left really kind of astonished at how bad things could have gone and they didn't go as badly as, uh, you know, potential would have had it. Very, very gracious in those settings. And that's exactly what the Lord is saying here. Total accident. Then you flee to the city and live. Verse 6 lest the avenger of blood, while his anger is hot, pursue the manslayer and overtake him, because the way is long, and kill him. Though he was not deserving of death, since he had not hated the victim in time past, therefore I command you, saying, you shall separate three cities for yourself. Listen, the Lord just said a number of things that go all the way back to Genesis in the explanation here, that there is a death penalty required for someone's death. If someone is killed, then death is what is required. Uh, now, now listen, within this, law enforcement is described, right? Because the man who pursues the killer and puts him to death is not guilty of murder. That's the one who makes the payment. Right? This, this whole thing that our culture has done about saying 
you know, oh, well, you know, capital punishment doesn't actually quell violence at all. You have to understand how complete lie that is. Everywhere where there is capital punishment, crime is dramatically lower. Everywhere. Everywhere where we lift capital punishment, then crime grows exponentially. And I do literally mean exponentially. As much as it wants to, to the point where it's killing itself and balances out. It is capital punishment that stops these things. Now, now there is something about our modern judicial system that is profoundly broken. And I do mean our modern judicial system. Because if you went back to the way things were formed in this nation, that's not the same as the modern judicial system. Right? You can literally buy yourself out of things in this country and in this culture. Our culture is not balanced. Every, every place. Listen, serial killers cross state lines to murder inside states where there is not capital punishment. Because they know if they kill within the state where they live, where there is capital punishment, they're forfeiting their life. Now, there are some laws regarding crossing federal lines and all of these different things, but my point is this, that punishment works. Here's another aspect to this whole thing, and I'll try to just move on. Consider this, parents. Lengthy studies performed by child development psychologists, psychologists, uh, philosophers, psychologists all over the world regarding disciplining children. Okay. And in particular, the study of time out. Okay. How effective is time out at modifying behavior? This is what they discovered without question 100% of the time. You go look up the studies on your own. This is probably going to be offensive to a lot of us because we've grown up with a culture that says time out. Okay. I'm not encouraging child abuse at all. Please don't do this. But the scripture does say that the deep blue of a bruise cleanses the soul. Wow. That's the scripture. Right? A moment ago when I was ranting on about changing the word of God and not abiding by it and how and everybody was like, yes. And then you come to a moment like this and they're like, oh, oh hey. Right? It goes on to say, though you injure him, right, you will not destroy him and you may save his soul from hell. Wow. That's the word of God, you guys. Psychology, philosophy, sociology, their studies of time out. You know what it produces 100% of the time? Frustration and rebellion. That's not my assessment. That's theirs. Physical discipline corrects the behavior every time, 100% of the time, almost like God wrote that, right? The Lord chastises those that are his own, right? The rod of correction of the shepherd, that's not the beating rod. That is the rod that reaches out to the sheep and taps him and says, get out of that. You got a whole, you know, 70 pounds of wool on you and you get in that mud or you get in that water you're going to kill yourself and the rod is used to correct the dumb sheep 
And guess what? We're all dumb sheep. Every one of us, we need stern correction. The scripture says that a wise son enjoys correction. Think about that. Do you enjoy correction? Do you enjoy it? Now, some of us have gotten at least smart enough to say, I appreciate it. There are a few of us that say, I enjoy it. The wise son enjoys correction, right? It preserves his soul and it makes him prosperous. Our culture has thrown this off. Has it not? Have you watched the news in the last five years? In the last year, right? Abolish the police. Give me a break. This is where we're headed, right? You say, why are you doing all this? Why are you railing on this? What is our correction system other than time out? Lengthy periods of time out. There are many, many criminals. I work in, you know, teaching Bible studies in the corrections facility. I've done my own time in the corrections facility. There are many, 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 many people who are doing life in prison in installments. They're just doing a three-year, a five-year, a seven-year, a 10-year, a 15-year stint, one after the other. Whereas, right, when we did actually have physical labor and physical punishment, few returned, right? The hardened criminals did, and we quickly knew who they were. They were the ones that needed to be segregated from society in order to preserve society. Our culture has lost all of this. Why? Because it has rejected God and rejected his authority. Why? Because it's listened to the voice of the devil that said, did God actually say that? Or is that some antiquated author thousands of years ago that was speaking from the culture of his day? No, it was, in fact, the authority of God speaking. It was the Lord giving to humanity his wisdom. Think about this, you guys. The only time that Jesus Christ stops everything and says to everyone present, including us, all the way through history, because it's recorded in the scripture, he stops everyone and says, look at this person's faith. Is that centurion? And why did he say it? Because the centurion said, I am a man under authority. Under authority. I understand there's authority above me. So many people read that and what they think and hear in their mind is, I am a man of authority. Right? There's a rebelliousness in our hearts where we venerate that. Oh, that's a, the rebel. We like that guy. You know, he's something to be admired. Really? Right? Did not Samuel the prophet confront Saul and say, rebellion is equal to the state of witchcraft? There's witchcraft bound up in each of our hearts by nature, by nature at birth. This whole concept that our culture has developed of saying, well, you know, children are born basically good. No, they're not. Those guys, if you if they knew how to kill you, they would. I've seen it. You've seen it. No, you have seen it. You just didn't recognize it, maybe. 
beet red, veins standing out of its neck. Cute little child shaking in rage. If they were 300 pounds, you'd be done. I've seen it in this nursery. I always describe one particular instance of walking by the nursery, and I hear this blood-curdling scream, and I turn around. There's two little girls wrestling over a ball, and one of them rips it away from the other. And just as I'm thinking that's the end of it, the one who just lost the ball turns around and grabs a metal Tonka truck in rage, beet red, veins standing out of her neck, her neck, raises it above her head, and is going to just crush the skull of this other child. And I grab the Tonka truck in the air, and that child struck the other child on the shoulder with a fist. And we threw all the Tonka trucks away that day. Murderous rage. Right? The scripture says, foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child, and the rod of correction drives it far from them. And you go, yeah, they are silly little buckaroos, aren't they? Remember that the scripture says, the fool has said in his heart there is no God. This is the foolishness the Lord is talking about. Listen, back right up, okay? What I'm encouraging you to do is be incredibly loving, gentle, and gracious parents, grandparents, friends, aunts, uncles. Be gentle with these little people. Love them. Nurture them, right? Perfect morning for us with Hezekiah to just talk about how gracious we need to be. But understand that what's going on in our culture is our culture has lifted its hands off from the issue of correction and just acted like, oh, it's all going to turn out fine. Here we are. Things are not turning out fine. We need loving, gentle correction and guidance while they're little and as they grow. And that needs to become more and more firm. So we don't have to get to this place where literally law enforcement is allowed. I'll remind us, right? Listen, if I've offended you so much that you can't even hear me, hear me in this one point and then mix it all up and see if you can handle what I'm saying. Hear me in this. The Welsh revival that occurred, 17 teenagers decided we're fake in our faith. We're not sincere. We're doing religion, not relationship with God. And they held one another accountable and said, we need to start getting together. We need to start praying and being real about repenting of our sin and living for the Lord. Those 17 teenagers got on their face in tears and sincerity, shaking with fear over God's punishment, and they began to pray. And that prayer went on day after day, and others joined them, and hundreds joined them, and thousands joined them, and tens of thousands joined them, until the entire nation of Wales had repented. To the point that bar owners, after months of having no customers, zero, 
went to the pastors and said, I noticed that you guys are meeting in barns and in warehouses. My bar isn't being used anymore. Why don't you start having Sunday services in my bar? Police officers started contacting their commissioners and saying, we have not had to even appear at a location where the law has been broken for months and we're still receiving paychecks. Should we resign? And and here's the thing. The commissioners had been converted themselves and they told their police officers, no, your servants of these communities and what they're all engaged in is worshiping Jesus Christ, why don't you start forming singing quartets and going around and ministering the churches and leading them and singing? Maybe you've seen Salvation Army, right? The entire country, the entire country of Wales. And it spread across the world. The Great Awakening, right? Real revival, you guys. That's historic. Go read it, right? Jonathan Orr. Org. Look up his website. He has documented every single revival that has ever occurred in world history. When, when a culture will return itself to God's word, then you don't even have to have cities of refuge or prisons or law enforcement, right? We don't have to legislate. We don't have to go and say, you're going to vote for this candidate and not this candidate. And nobody has to freak out about what just happened in Texas and lots because everyone is obeying God's word. The Holy Spirit working in our hearts. Hear me in this. This can happen in this room today where we surrender and we listen and we obey what the Lord is saying. Here, the Lord has to put this forward to this group of people and say, there's going to be murder and there's going to be manslaughter and you're going to have to have law enforcement that actually carries out death sentences in order for you to survive as a culture. Wouldn't it be a beautiful thing? We're all sitting here and very often we go, when are we going to return to capital punishment? How about we return to Jesus Christ? How about we go way beyond that? And we return to being submissive hearts. Amen? Amen. Well, i got three more hours to go, so bear with me. Okay, no, we'll close right there. Will you stand with me? Didn't even finish a section on cities of refuge, but I think it's very important that we understand what the Lord is saying about how effective a relationship with Him is. Amen? Father, Bless us, keep us, watch over us. Pour your spirit out upon us. Help us to be men and women that are obedient to you. We long to see your kingdom come and your will being done in our lives and in the world around us. Help us to open our mouths and share with the people. Help us to remember to take a gospel of John with us and to put that in someone's hand, to lead them in prayer and to build your kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.